for Your Darkness, a first responder mental health podcast hosted by me, Erin Jane, where we have conversations about what it's like to perform a first responder role and the mental health challenges that can accompany it. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Will Hold Space for Your Darkness. I'm your host, Erin Jane, and today we are joined by Fidel, who is a paramedic from New York. He has 15 years experience as a medic and three years as an EMT prior to that. So thank you for joining us, Fidel. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. No, wonderful. Um, so yeah, Fidel's jumped on today. Um, so like I said, I experienced as a paramedic in New York as well as an EMT and he was also um, an army veteran. So yeah, Fidel, um, thank you for joining us and really just sort of want to kind of dive on in and um, can you tell us what made you become interested to become either an EMT or a paramedic? All right, you get the long version. Um, I do get the long version. <laughs> so my first experience with EMS, I was a little, I was like maybe ten, and I got mm-hmm. hit by a car. Oh wow! Like, I, I was, hear that. Minor injuries, but I, I I blacked out and I woke up in the ambulance. You know, I was playing on the street. This is when kids still played in the street. Yeah. Parents <laughs> were at home, and I don't. Uh, so it was just me, and I'm not too sure if, if it was an EMT. Mm-hmm. A paramedic in the ambulance with me so i just remember that and then i remember going to the hospital i remember coming home but since then i always had a thought in my mind uh you know about working on the ambulance and as a teenager i used to see the ambulance uh drive by and be like hey it'll be cool to work on the ambulance i remember i was on the ambulance when i yeah. was young i had no idea the difference between emts and paramedics the general public they don't really know the difference between the level of care you get from no, either. Yeah. And then, yeah. so when I finished high school, there was a college by me that it was three phases. The first semester was basic CPR. Okay. The second semester was first aid. I don't know if it was AHA or Red Cross first aid. And then the third semester was the actual EMT program so i did the first two semester and the third semester my brother got me a job and (laughs) i left school and i started working and i i worked in telecommunications for about 10 to 15 years and then and then you know there were a lot of changes in the industry and i didn't have a job anymore and at that Mm -hmm. time at that time i was married i had a mortgage uh i had my daughter was four my wife was pregnant my ex-wife my wife at the time mm-hmm. was pregnant with my son and uh, I thought what did I want to do what do I want to do with my life my career and I was like hey I always wanted to work in an ambulance you know my ex was, was she was always very supportive of whatever yeah. career got that chose. nice so I enlisted in a EMT program I had a little money saved away and I'm three-quarter yeah. way finished with the program and uh we're having a talk with the professor. So I don't know if you know the way it works in New York City is um, the city of New York contracts the fire department to handle their EMS. So oh, they, okay. they don't really have the resources 
to cover all the areas. So they subcontract with the hospital uh, agencies to do 911. So it's the same job, same radio frequencies, uh, yeah. same protocols, same level of training. It's just that my uniform and check is from the hospital. But the uh, okay. time, hey, most of you guys fresh out of school, uh, you're not going to get a job with a hospital without any experience. Some of you guys might go into the fire department if they're hiring at the time, but most of you guys are going to work yeah. private transport. And he's telling me the salary for private transport, which is little to nothing. It was less than $10 yeah. an hour at the time. And I'm oh, thinking, wow. oh my God, my wife is going to kill me. I, I, <laughs> I think, you know, the medical field, you're going to make money, but I, yeah. it wasn't the time and but i was already committed i was working 60 70 hours a week doing private transport i was about to i was about to leave um i worked for about a year i was about to, i was about to leave ems altogether and i remember i had a, a retired uh fire department emt and he was always telling up uh, as a partner he was always telling me don't even try going applying at a hospital they're not going to hire you without three years experience <laughs> So I listened for a little bit. I remember one day, it was a year in. Yeah. I sued on for whatever reason. And I said, you know what? Let me just stop by the base, the hospital base with a resume. And I stopped. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm going to give a shout out. I don't know if she'll ever see it, but my first manager, her name is Maddie Fong. She gave me my break in. in oh, that's nice. Hospital base 911. Yeah. And. I've been working EMS since I worked for a few hospital agencies. I worked for the fire department for a little bit. Uh, it was mm -hmm. a little bit of culture. I came back to the hospital. I left EMS to do organ transplant for a little bit. Wasn't it was a, It's a great job, great mission. Um, yeah. But I'm more comfortable on the EMS working in the streets. So I came back and okay. here I am still. That's the wow. one I appreciate you giving me the long version. <laughs> um, so when you're saying, so you, you say that you had like a somewhat of a career in telecommunications or at what age did you then kind of come back to do your EMS schooling? I was in my early 30s. Okay. And do you think sort of going down that path when you were like a little bit older and a bit more like mature, do you think it, it sort of helped you um, either like in, you know, attending the jobs and, and having that level of maturity? Like, do you think that that was of benefit for you? You know, we can't, I can't say for sure if it would have made a difference, but I think my personality type is, was, was, was molded at a, as a teenager. So I don't think, um, it would have changed my the way I, I my perspective of the job, but I only I mm -hmm. wish I would have started sooner because this, this is okay. what I'm happy doing. I've, I've worked many different professions, and yeah, this is what I'm. There's never been a day working EMS where I'm like I don't want to go to work. Maybe maybe if I'm tired or I have a party to go to, I might not want to go that <laughs> day. But the job <laughs> itself, I've I've yeah. always enjoyed the job. Yep, yep, that's cool. Nice. All right. And so, so yeah, so you've been doing that for, well, sort of like all up like 18 years now. Um, about, and, yeah. Okay. And so, and you said you went into, so when you were talking about like organ transplant, were you then kind of on a crew that would like transport the organs between? No, no. The, they, they, I was a transplant coordinator where. Uh, oh, wow. It's, it's a, it's a complicated uh, position where you do you do donor management where once the 
patient becomes an authorized organ donor in the ICU, we sit with that patient and then we work with the ICU team and the intensivist and we manage them not for life. It's a different treatment model. You manage them for organ preservation. Yeah, so we have, yeah. you have your own different set of protocols and you mm -hmm. know medications that you give to the patient. So we manage them on the vents and the pressors and the hormones. Okay. Because once you become brain dead, your body stops producing certain hormones. But that yep. was only 10% of the job. The other yep. 80, 90% was like basically glorified administrative work, which was not, it's a great job. People love it and excel yeah. at it. It's still a great mission. I don't want to, you know, trash talk yeah. the profession, but it oh, just no. was, I mean, it was a different culture. I worked, you know, the last um, almost, you know, 20 years in the, in the streets. Now I'm stuck in a, mm -hmm. in an office, quote unquote, yeah. you for, and it's 24 hour shifts. So, and it's cold oh, wow. in there. I hate being cold. <laughs> Yeah, but I think, you know, you strike me as like a very calm, like level-headed person. So to to have presence on the street, I think would, you know, be a benefit in any kind of like emergency situation. And I think you'd be sort of pretty maybe similar to my husband where like my husband does, is not a person who can sit in an office behind a desk. Like it's just, it's not his thing. He's just too busy and too all over the place. So like maybe you guys like vibrate on like the same frequency and you're like i gotta be out i gotta be doing stuff like it's you have to be built a certain way to be able to <laughs> that's all right um to be able to um you know either sit behind a desk and do that kind of thing or be out on the road yeah it makes sense it's a different personality type to do this yeah. job and enjoy it so it's because some people still do the job they i stopped them from crossing this that's Some all right. Fidel's cat's trying to make a uh, guest appearance on our podcast at the moment. So that's what I giggled at before he walked they past. They only mess with me when I'm actually doing something. That's so, all right. My apologies. Um, no, no, go ahead. It takes, it takes a different personality type to still do this job and enjoy it. Some people still do it, but they don't enjoy it. I have colleagues that, you know, don't enjoy the work. And I ask myself, why are you still doing it? You know, but. Yeah. I, I don't know what goes on in other people's personal lives, why they choose to do what they do. I know if yeah. I'm not, un, if I'm unhappy doing something, I make a change. And so yeah. I, I, the only reason I left EMS to go to organ transplant is I figured it was, it's the next step in my career. You know, it's, you know, progress, okay. evolution. So I have no regrets. Mm -hmm. You know, I tried it, but yeah. I, I'm glad I did it to know that I don't like it. It made me appreciate EMS even more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it is to be able to like step back and get that perspective and be like, oh, I've actually got it pretty. And so, um, so then when you're when you go to work, how long are your shifts for for where you're at as a as a paramedic? Are they twelve hours? Are they twenty four? So depending on the agency you work for, they it's anywhere from eight. Uh, they have eight hour tours and twelve hour tours. If you do an eight-hour tour, you're allowed to do doubles, so you can do a sixteen-hour okay. shift straight. If you do twelve okay. hours, you can't you can't do any more than twelve okay. unless you get mandated, and they could only keep you for four more hours for a total of sixteen. Okay, so sixteen hours is like the maximum yeah. amount that yeah. you guys are allowed to do. Yeah. Okay, so and then do you? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. I was going to say, and then are there like mandatory breaks, like in terms of you, no, you know, you, then get... you can't come back to work for another 
X amount of hours or does that, again, depend on whether you're, you've been mandated to come back or not? Um, and so the fire department, they keep track of your of your tours in there. It's mm-hmm. a system, so you cannot do three tours straight in a row if you're working okay. eight yep. hours. And if you can't, uh, and if you're working 12 hours, you can't do two 12s. Now, some people, there's a way around it. They, they hop from one agency to another agency. And, you know, it's, it's hard to keep track and yeah. it's, you're not supposed to do it, but some mm. people work 24 hours straight, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, at so mid- what about at the... Mid- the clock resets itself as far as like, yeah. um, you could do it. So we, so the morning tour is a tour two and the evening tour okay. is a tour three and the overnight is a tour one. So if you do a tour two, tour three, the system resets before the tour one. So you could jump straight into tour one at another agency. Oh, the same agency okay. never can do it because that's their internal policy. Yeah, yeah. So so is it is it the same for the firefighters there or is that strictly just no, for the paramedics? No, firefighters have the good life. They sleep in a firehouse. We respond in a street corner somewhere out of an ambulance. <laughs> firefighters sleep, they cook. They rescue. They shoot the shit around the firehouse table. They they, they have a great job. You know, they they, it's a little different what they do. We do get we we call them CFRs. They're they're trained to the CFR level and they do respond to our call at a CFR level to provide basic care. Yeah. Most of the firehouses are closer than to the assignment than we are usually because it's limited uh, ambulances. So they usually get there before us. And their job yeah. is to render basic care before we get there. Okay. Yeah, that makes but sense. They do 24-hour shifts. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's that's the same up here in Massachusetts. Yeah, most places do 24 hours. And I was just wondering, and I guess like especially because, you know, if you're in your position as a paramedic and you're rocking up to a scene and you're like, you know, trying to give someone critical first aid and administer medication or that kind of thing. Like the, when if like fatigue comes into play, it's really got to, you know, perhaps endanger patient care if you're at a certain level when, you know, like obviously there's studies that show, you know, if you're tired to a certain extent, it's worse than being intoxicated. Yes. Yes. Absolutely right. I guess that's the reason why they won't allow you to work. Uh, more than two shifts in a row because your judgment yeah. gets skewed. You know, it's, it's like you said, it's almost worse than being intoxicated. Yeah, know? yeah, that makes sense. And so the the place where you're at now, how how long have you been there for? Actually, uh, it's only been a year because I came back to them after I left the organ transplant. So my organ transplant stint was pretty recent. About oh, eight, okay. Uh, yep. So I've been working for this agency for a year organ transplant for a year before that and the last agency i worked for was for about 10 years oh wonderful okay and so you just went where like there was an available position it wasn't like one's better than another Um, so the the job i left for organ transplant my position was filled and there was no openings available so i had to go to another agency that was that fits that fit my financial needs and mm-hmm. it's wise you know it's, it's 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 a good gig i'm happy where i'm at right now 
Nice. That's good. Happy to hear it. And so um, as someone who doesn't know much about sort of, you know, the the paramedic life and, and schedule and stuff like that, um, is it like a firefighter or like a police officer in America where you work with the same crew or the same kind of person as like a quote unquote partner? Or is it you kind of just work your shifts and whoever's working that shift is is the, the person for that day? It's it's a little bit of both. It's uh it's regularly irregular to use a, <laughs> a cardiology term. So I'll have the same partner every Monday. Okay. And then uh I'm just using a random example. Yeah. Every Monday yeah. and Tuesday I have a different partner every Monday. I mean every Tuesday and Wednesday. And the only time I'll get a different partner is if someone goes on vacation because they also have part timers that fill in like vacation relief guys that fill in the spots here and there they yep. also have what they call per diem uh medics where they only pick up shifts uh when needed yep. so they're, to, they're there to fill in the slot so i usually have a regular two or three uh set of partners that i work with okay and then yeah then just a couple of fill in here and there for various reasons yeah okay Cool, that makes sense. And so, um, why why New York? Did you grow up in that state, or I grew up find yourself there? Where I got hit by that car when I was a kid in New York City. Really? Yeah, this is where I grew up. Okay. Uh, people trash talk New York, but I don't see myself leaving. I love the city. It yeah. has its pros and cons. For yeah. me, a lot more pros than cons. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. I mean, I've been. I think I've been maybe four or five times now and I love it. Like every time I have visited New York, I have done something different. You know, I think there's always something, something different to do, something different to see, something different to experience. And I think that's what I love about that city. And, and, and as someone who grew up in a different country, like everyone in the world knows New York, you know, like it's, it's so iconic and TV shows and the movies and, and everything that you see and then to kind of go and and stand there like there's there's something you know there's there's only certain places I think in the world that really have just that sense of I think awe when you get to go and I think New York is is one of those cities in in, in my in my opinion at least but yeah I think it's yeah, awesome. I, I concur you know anything <laughs> anything at any time that's the New York motto yeah. I have I haven't really traveled much internationally, but I've been to a lot of big cities in the U.S., you know, L.A., yeah. Dallas. They're all great, uh, but there's no place like it's, it's New York is a little different. And I'm not just saying that because I live here. It's, I've actually traveled to other states to see. Yeah, you're not, you're not biased at all, Fidel. Not no, at all. No. <laughs> I'm trying not to be. <laughs> That's so, okay. Some of my I... colleagues hate New York. They're dying to get out. No. <gasps> I mean, so given that, I mean, are you guys just busy all the time? Like, is it because obviously it's, you know, such a highly populated, highly, highly dense, you know, city um, and with all obviously um, not monuments, but like big tourist attractions and all that kind of thing. Like, does it ebb and flow or is it just you guys are just go, go, go like all the time? So when I started EMS, so we do about 3,911 calls. Well, none. That's how it used to be when I started, about 3,911 calls a day, right? But 
when Jesus. and it was slowly progressively getting higher over the years during yeah. covid we spiked to about 7000 calls a day which wow. was more than double we had to call in mutual aid from other states yeah. you know and all the other state ems fema was great uh yeah uh, oem uh, emergency management department every everyone yeah. worked really well to to help us yeah. with the call volume so once yeah. covid uh covid died down no mm-hmm. pun intended um i'm sorry <laughs> The the number's lower, but now we have the same manpower, if not even less, because EMS has a high attrition rate. We're doing over 5,000 calls a day with the same manpower we were doing 3,000 calls a day about 10 years ago. Yeah. So so there there were slow areas. You know, there's busy areas like Midtown Manhattan and the Bronx, and you had um, slower areas in the outer boroughs, but not everywhere is busy. We're doing like... Last night when I left the CAD number, that's how we each call as a CAD number was at yeah. about 6,200. So Jesus. It's, yeah, it's a lot. It's busy. So there is no sitting around. And I mean, I guess like, so after, I mean, I think anyone listening would know how hard New York was hit at the very beginning of, of the pandemic and especially you know, like I'm, I'm up in Boston and, and being on the East coast and, you know, everyone kind of came over from Europe and, and we sort of, you know, we got smashed, but obviously the extent that New York did, like, tell me what that was like back, back then, back in that sort of early, early part of, of 2020. So on, uh, prior to COVID, as a medic, I would probably work about three to four cardiac arrests a month mm-hmm. during COVID. And it, it, it's, it, it just abruptly started. One week, uh, people just started passing. So I, would, I was working literally five cardiac arrests a night. About, and, and every unit was working about five cardiac arrests a night for about three weeks straight. Wow. And as abruptly as the cardiac arrest call types came in, Mm-hmm. It just it just stopped, you know. It started all of a sudden and stopped for whatever reason. I don't know. So yeah. maybe those that were susceptible, uh, yeah, like really early when, on, sort of thing. Yeah, it, it, you know, exposure is inevitable. You can't hide from exposure. You're gonna get exposed. Some people, you know, they handled it better than others. Yeah, uh, I had people. Uh, well, I don't know um, if your if your viewers know much about oxygen saturation. So the normal oxygen saturation, ninety four percent. You know what the yeah. HA recommends. Ninety is a little low. In the eighties, mm-hmm. you know your 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 respiratory, uh, you're hypoxic, and then anything less than that, okay. you know you need to be artificially mechanically ventilated. I had patients that were talking to me. Just with a sat of 60, 50, 40, I'm, wow. t- I'm not even joking. And it was yeah. a, whatever COVID did to the human body, it, it wreaked havoc yeah. on itself. So um, mm. I don't know how well those patients fare because you can only take them to the hospital with yeah. the hospitals after. Um, yeah. We had, we had different protocols that day. Like it was the cold volume was so high. If patients didn't want to go to the hospital, no matter how severe, it was you just okay. Bye. Yeah. I had actually had one guy. He he looked he looked like he was circling the drain, as we say, with a mm-hmm. sat sixty, and 
they, you know, we had, we had, we, it was COVID protocols. You know, we, we could RMA, leave him there if he wanted to leave. But I told him, I was like, bro, you need to go to the hospital. You might not make yeah. it to the morning. And he had his kids around him. And he told me, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die at home with my family. And what can I say to that? So I said, all right, yeah. you change your mind, just call 911. Yeah. Yeah. No, that would have been, and I can't imagine how sort of full on that, that was for, for you and, and your colleagues and in, in all of the first responder realms, you know, that was, that was really tough on, on your city. Um, how has, how has everyone fared since then? Cause even like you were just saying, you know, even like the call volumes are still so incredibly high and your staff percentages haven't you know, increased um, massively. Like, are you finding that a lot of a lot of your colleagues are just super burnt out or leaving in droves? Like, what? Where? Where is it at in regards to that? Yeah, a lot of well, a lot of uh, EMS personnel left because of COVID, okay. and right after COVID, they didn't want to stay for whatever yeah. reasons. Uh, a lot, a lot of people use. EMS as a stepping stone, like either to go, you know, work it while going to nursing school or medical school or PA yeah. school. There's very, very, uh, it's a handful that actually stay in it okay. for the long term. Yeah. And it's not, we're not, we're actually, we're actually, there's a lot of unions now that's fighting to, to increase our salary and our benefits to keep people in yeah. EMS, you know. Um, yeah. We don't get it. We don't get any help from the city, even though I work for the hospitals. But whatever happens to the city agencies, it affects us also. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Them. So um, a lot of people feel that EMS is the stepchildren of the 911 system, at least here in New York. In, in New York. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I know a lot of other states, EMS is well-respected and you know take, well taken care of. I'll give you an example. In most states, it's considered a promotion to go from firefighter to paramedic in New York City, it's the opposite. It's it's if you work for the fire department, it's yeah. promotion from medic to firefighter. They they under the same umbrella of the fire department, but they respond separately. They're not in the same firehouse. They're completely different branches of the uh, fire. Okay. Um, yeah, so a lot of people don't. A lot of city. A lot of fire department medics don't stay if they have the opportunity to go work as a firefighter because the pay is better, yeah. the yeah. contract is better, the pension is better. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's interesting. So then, so, I mean, they obviously wouldn't lose their skills as a paramedic. So then are they considered a firefighter paramedic or they're just like, no, nah, I'm purely no, just a, a firefighter it's, now? It's so- Although they still retain their certification as a medic, they become a CFR once they work. They could only op- operate as a firefighter while they're working as a firefighter. They can't, they can't do any, not even EMT skills. They just can do CFR skills. At the, wow. You know, at the, some firefighters still, main, they moonlight as medics for, for private agencies. Yeah. yeah. But um, no, there's uh fire suppression we call it and uh and EMS are two separate agencies with two yeah. uh sco- different scope of practice altogether. Interesting. Yeah. No, because I think I think with like the de- department that like my husband works for, like they're they're sort of like both and then it'll will often dictate, you know, whether they work on like a ladder or on say like an engine who respond to most of the medical calls as well. 
So that's interesting yeah. that each yeah. sort of place does it does a little bit differently. Yeah, they do it like um, that. New York kind of where the it's fire EMS in one, but in New York City uh, it's completely separate. Yeah, yeah, and I guess yeah, you guys. I mean, and they would. I guess you know maybe doing something different because you cover like such an enormous patch that yeah maybe it's like works better that it does have to be specialized in like this way and this way and this way. Yeah, I would assume so because of the call volume is too high to they don't have the manpower to combine fire and EMS. Yeah, yeah, and um, and so because that sounds like there is a lot of like interagency um like interactions, you know, between you guys, so like the, the hospital EMS and the fire department EMS and fireys and all that kind of thing. Um, what's like the camaraderie like even just, you know, within your department and then with like your inter interagencies? There's there's a friendly banter, but we all yeah. for the most part we all work well together. When you call when you call nine one one in New York City, technically you're supposed to get um an ambulance, whether it's an ALS or BLS ambulance, depending on the level of care you need, you're supposed to get a, yep. a, a RMP, which is a squad car, and okay. a, an engine, which they respond to medical cars. The fire, the policemen are there for our safety. The mm -hmm. firefighters are there for um, whatever whatever we need, uh, basic care. But it doesn't yep. always happen like that because there's so much so much. Um, so high of a call volume, we'll get on jobs and it's just us. We'll get on jobs as the police officers yeah. and the firefighters. Sometimes it's just the firefighters. But if we have, like, say, a cardiac arrest, uh, protocol is to have the firefighters with us uh, to help us okay. with whatever we need. And if we have yeah. uh, um, EDPs, uh, I don't know if you guys um, have, it's like uh, psych patients, emotionally disturbed oh, okay, people, yeah. we're required to have police officers with us, you know, and we're there yeah. just for medical care. So we all yeah, work so good. and we all yeah. know each other. You know, I have a lot of friends, good friends that are cops and firefighters from, that I've met on the job over the years. Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. And, um, and I guess, cause yeah, the police officers would have the, um, like arrest power to yeah. convey someone to get like a psychiatric assessment and all that kind of thing. Yeah. I know I used to yes. have to obviously call it something different back where I come from, but we used to have to do a lot of that kind of stuff too, or if someone was threatening suicide and all that kind yes, of thing. Exactly. So sometimes the police would get on scene for like a domestic call and they'll mm -hmm. think someone needs evaluation. So they'll call for us to go and, and you know, transport yep. the patient. Sometimes yep. they're, sometimes they're, um, you know, they need sedation, the patient sometimes. Yep. So we work yep. hand in hand. Oh, nice. I'm good to hear that there's a good level of, you know, relationships built there. Um, what was I going to say? So you kind of also said that, you know, sometimes the, the, the police come in a manner of speaking as like some sort of level of protection. Like I think anyone who has visited New York, um, even just traveled on the subway, like there is often some crazy shit that goes on in that city. Um, yeah, like what, what kind of, you know, what either, what are like your most common jobs or what, what like weird shit do you guys like get called the to? Most Man, common... You can even write this, you can make it up. <laughs> so, so about, Maybe ten to fifteen percent of our call volume actually warrants 
an ambulance. The actual 80% could be an Uber ride to the hospital. You know? <laughs> oh God. But I mean, if there's job security and yeah. people don't, um, don't understand what we do. Some people look at us as just an Uber ride. They don't understand. We basically have an emergency room on wheels in a, you yeah. know, that we can, we can treat you with if needed. Yeah. Um, but our mo I can't say, so, so the bill, so the EMTs, the basic level, they get a different type of call volume than we get. Yeah. Sometimes they overlap each other. Yeah. So, so we'll get unconscious calls. Okay. And yep. about 60% of the times it's just some intoxicated guy sleeping on the corner that a concerned, <laughs> in a, a concerned citizen is worried about and they'll call in either yep. the unconscious or the cardiac arrest. You know, you get the cardiac arrest unconscious in front of the liquor store, 12 o'clock Saturday night. Most of the time, you know what it is. But that's not to be taken for granted because I've had yeah. cardiac arrest that were oh, in front of the liquor store, yeah. in front of the bar <laughs> midnight. Yeah. And is yeah. it, um, I don't know if it would be the same for you, that like the person is um, so concerned, but yet they don't wait around. They just make the phone call and like do the dash. The, the first thing I told my, you know, fellow citizens, did you try waking him up? <laughs> they like, just look at me and I tap the guy on the shoulder and he wakes up. I'm like, bro, you want to go to the hospital? He's like, no, all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, yeah, I think. I think, you know, people get scared and all that kind of thing. And, and then there's that. that they mean, we, they mean well. That's yeah, exactly. No, it was just, yeah, we see a lot of those, those calls and I was a cop to be like, oh, I'm really concerned and da, 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 da. And it's like, okay, so what did you do about it? Or are you still on scene? Can you give us an update? They're like, oh no, I, I left. I just yeah. thought you should know. It's like, thanks buddy. We get a we get a computer screen that gives us the inf digital information, yeah. the type of what the third party call caller not on scene anymore. Like they just called and walked away. So yeah, that happens. Yeah, yeah. I feel like but that you, is. Uh, but, but you know what? Cool. Though we you all, we always have to respond in priority yeah. mode because you just never know until you get yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not nah, and that makes sense. And you know, sometimes. Weirdly enough, like I think sometimes if it is bullshit, you kind of go, "All right, like might be a little waste of my time, but hey, like that person's okay." Instead of like you're saying, like, yeah. "Yeah, a drunk you have to wake up," as opposed to a cardiac arrest. Like but that's it's, exactly it's, how I look at it. And I tell my partners too because they're like, "Oh man, why we get called for like look, better to have this than an actual emergency where we got to work and you know clean up and you know somebody's suffering because of it." Exactly. Exactly. It's like the older. The old evidence ethos that we got taught. It's like you'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Nah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So I wanted to ask you, so the reason that Fidel and I actually kind of made contact with each other was on the wonderful world of Instagram. Um, and can you tell me a little bit about what first responder stories is? So that's that's a little Instagram page that I started about two years ago. Um, mm -hmm. So I used to watch this YouTube channel. I don't know the name of his channel. His name is Mr. Ball, and he 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 tells stories uh, okay. of 
I don't know if you ever heard of him. Uh, he tells stories of like true crime, but he did such a great job of telling retelling these stories. I watched him all the time, so I was a yeah. big fan of his. I watched him. So one one day, uh, it was tour change, and me and the guys, uh, girls, well, you know, everybody's the guys. You know, we're sitting around yeah. telling war stories, and I had war such stories, a great yeah. idea. I'm like, yeah. this would make like this would make a great channel of yeah. Just people telling their stories because people, like I said before, they don't really know what we do. So and they understand. So you tell your little yeah. story of something that happened, you know, that um, you know that you know an interesting job that you've had. You know, yeah. my motto is: you can make them laugh or you can make them cry. You just tell the story, whatever you want to tell the story about. And it's not, yeah. it's not. I am no way Mr. Ball, and he does a great job of telling the story. So I can't tell the story. So what I do is I have my colleagues just. Tell a story, whatever they want to tell. So I actually have yeah. some some uh, some funny stories and some you know tragic stories on it also. Yeah, that's it. I haven't done yeah. anything with it recently. I've put it on the back burner for now. But uh, yeah, well, you're a busy man. I understand. Um, but yeah, no. And I actually sort of before we before we jumped on here to have a chat tonight, I went back and and looked because I really vividly remembered. And I don't know how we sort of ended up finding each other, whether I followed you or you followed me or or I'm not kind of, I can't really remember, but I still remember the most vivid video that you posted. And I think it was either of like a colleague or, or someone you knew in, um, in New York. And he was, he was uh, telling or like, you know, recalling an incident where there was um, a, a baby that was stabbed do you remember that one uh the the stab i I remember i think i know what you're talking about it was a pediatric uh cardiac arrest yeah yeah um actually actually i have like two or three stories with pediatric uh arrest okay it was it was a guy it's a it's a guy sitting in the back of the running out with the baby in his hand um to the to the to the crew and gave him the baby it was it was stabbed by the by the father i think yeah. i i found yeah so yeah yeah that's that's the one i'm thinking of that 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 one was like just the kind of the way that he um i'm sorry i i don't know his name but the the way that he sort of told that story and it was just so um it was so authentic because he kind of also went through like what he was thinking at the time, like, you know, this woman like running out with this baby with like a butter knife, you know, a butter knife straight through its head. Like, and he like, he actually, you know, in the video, he's just like, I'm like, what the fuck? Like he just, and I really loved it. Cause he was, and he was so like, um, you know, uh, open and, and honest and like authentic and like, you know, going through the, the, the motion of how they treated the scene and, what they did and what was really important and and obviously his key focus was on getting that that I think it was like a toddler I think it was like a two-year-old like to the hospital to receive treatment and and all that kind of thing but then he was also able to acknowledge like afterwards he was just like damn that was like really full-on yeah we get we get those memorable calls although the we 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 get a high call volume. And we see a lot of different stuff. There's those one or two stories that stick yeah. in your brain, you know. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. He's actually. I I, I think I know he's he's actually. I work with him now. Actually, still. Oh really? Yeah. 
we tend to we tend to and EMS is a small community uh, in nine one one I should say we all know each other so we all work with each yep. other in different agencies. So yeah, he's still doing it. He's still doing his thing yeah. out there. <laughs> No, he just he just seemed like a really awesome dude and you know, yeah, just like the way that he told it and and he's he's a he's a big guy, like big, he looked sort of tall, like a you know, quite like a um like a, like an intimidating looking guy and he was able to to convey that like he did his job, but you know, in the aftermath, like he sort of said that like the job bothered him, you know, for a little bit and 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 he was able to, you know, get past it and and he's okay, but I think it's, I think there's a lot of power in, in sort of someone like that, who's clearly so proficient in what they do, but being able to go like, man, that shit fucking rattled me. Like, you know, like, I think there's, there's something really important in, in being able to admit that, you know? Yeah. He's, 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 uh, he's kind of like me. His nickname is, uh, we call him the trauma king. Because he likes to trauma jobs, you know. So in the way it works in New York, we share the same frequency. So if we hear a gunshot or a stabbing come over and they assign it to another unit, the other unit might want to do it just because, you know, for the adrenaline, you know, to yeah. you know, render patient care and they'll buff the job. Like, no, we're, <laughs> this unit said, no, we're five minutes away. Give us the job. So. He's always always good at buffing those trauma. He's a glutton for punishment, by the sounds of it. Well, he he does it, you know, because he generally likes to help people. He also volunteers. I I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, I I don't I don't want to shout him out because I didn't I didn't um. No, no, no. No, but I'll let him know that you uh his story was memorable. It did. It really, really resonated, and um, with with your permission, Fidel, like when I um when I drop our podcast episode and I'll share some details on, on Instagram, would you mind if I reshared that, that video from your account, just so like the listeners can, can know which one it is. Oh, absolutely. Um, be my guest. And if you want, I could also get you his contact info. If you ever wanted to do a podcast with him, if I would love that. Yeah, absolutely. If he'd be interested, I would I would love to have a chat with him. He he seemed oh. like a really a ripper bloke. Once this is over, we'll we'll conference yeah. and see if it's the actual it's the actual same, I want to make sure it's the same person and yeah. then I'll contact him <laughs> and uh I'll I'll let you guys exchange him for or I'll give I you his info. That would be cool. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, um, I, I'm sure he would love to do a, a podcast with you. That'd be cool. Thank you. Um, and so, yeah, so for anyone listening, if you are on Instagram or Facebook, um, please jump on and follow First Responder Stories. So from my understanding, the handle is first underscore responder underscore stories. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So jump on and follow Fidel and he shares like all kinds of stuff on there. Um, so you share sort of lots of different sort of obviously quote unquote first responder stories, but it's from, you know, all of the different domains. And, and, and I think I remember um, back in September, you shared some really um, like poignant stories about people who sort of either responded on 9-11 to the terrorist attacks or, you know, people who'd lost their lives in the aftermath and, and all that kind of thing. And there was some really, um, really just like important stories that that you shared that I think was was you know very worthwhile as well thank you that was more of of uh, the written word yeah (laughs) 
but that's okay. We're, we're, we're allowed to read on Instagram and Facebook. doesn't have to be the quick 10 second, uh, 10 second thing. Um, but you said that's kind of just been on like the back burner a little bit, like the, the, the stories, just the videos, cause I, you know, I've been, cause I, I, I did the organ transplant for a little while that took a lot of my yeah. time. And yeah. also I, I, the, the business I tried to start is not panning out for logistic reasons. And so I'm actually okay. back in school now trying to finish up my uh, graduate degree. So oh, I need cool. to, focus, I need to focus on that until, yeah. um, until that's done and I'll start getting more stuff. You know what it is? It's hard to get people to tell me their story sometimes. Cause, cause we have, we have a lot of people are afraid of HIPAA, which is patient yeah. privacy. So they yeah. think if you tell the story, they're violating HIPAA. But I tell them, listen, you don't, you don't have to mention any names or anything like that, hmm. but I don't like to pressure people. So oh, no, I say, you have and, a story. And but no, I, I, and I, like, I just hundred percent understand it. Like it's even just, you know, getting on and doing this and, and, you know, even, uh, some of my, my previous guests on here have had, you know, some, some apprehension about coming on and, and telling their story and all that kind of thing. And, and so I, I definitely, definitely get it, but I think, um, I think equally, you know, like that some of the videos that you share and, and what I sort of try to do here with this podcast, I think. I think, you know, spreading that level of, of camaraderie that we all experience a lot of the same things and we all go through a lot of the same things. And I think, I think there's a lot of sort of power in hearing it from people with, who are boots on the ground. It's not, you know, someone who, you know, has like 50 million degrees and sort of can, can tell you it from a theoretical perspective. It's like people going like, no, I went and I did this job and, and this is what I experienced or this is what I did. And, and I think, I think there's, there's something to be said for that. Well, that's, you know, why I do what I do. I appreciate it. (laughs) All right. Um, so if you don't mind Fidel, I would like just to, um, pivot briefly to the mental health aspect of being a first responder. Um, and so when it comes to mental health, um, and when you were sort of joining up to, to become, um, you know, an EMS member, is anything ever mentioned or broached or recommended before you, before you went to the job? Uh, as far as how to handle a job? Uh, yeah. Or just, yeah. How, how to handle all of like the, the trauma that you're going to see. Like, obviously there's a level of awareness when you sign up for this kind of job, but yeah. Especially after COVID, you know, a lot of uh, city agencies and hospital agencies started looking at the mental health, mental health aspect of first responders. A few uh, colleagues did commit suicide because of COVID, they were, you know, fire department, it made the news. Uh, I don't know if you heard about it down there. So a lot of um, power, the powers that be started looking more at the mental health yeah. aspect of first one. So there was always a critical incident debriefing. There's a team. Yep, uh, team, yep. So, so uh, REMSCO, which is the state governing body for EMS, whenever there's something critical, Whenever something critical happens, uh, mm-hmm. they'll reach out to the personnel that were involved if they need okay. counseling. It's not forced. It's very um, 
it's very at your discretion if you want to talk to somebody and it's it's okay. personal if you want to we just yeah. had a actually me personally i had a colleague that was uh stabbed on the job and wow. so i was there at the scene and mm-hmm. you know she's 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 doing better but i had that same the state uh board reach yeah. out to me and see if i needed uh you know some type of counseling and i told them i'll be okay for now i mean so like i told you before i've always been able to handle um these critical incidences well mm-hmm. at least so far you know we never know what lays in the back of the mind that's dormant yeah. that surface 10 20 years from now i remember I remember uh, my first job as an EMT, my first cardiac arrest, I was with a seasoned uh, EMT and, mm-hmm. you know, we had to touch the body, do CPR. And he was like, hey, how'd you feel touching a dead body for the first time? And I was like, you know, so I just, look, while I'm working with my patient, yeah. uh, I tried, you know, of course I tried to do my best and- I don't like to say save a life because we we nobody saves anything. It sounds a little morbid, but we prolong the inevitable. Everybody dies. <laughs> so, right? so, it's well, an interesting way to look at it. <laughs> you try to extend that time, you know, for that yeah. patient and their family. Yeah. Um, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't, and it's it's just a task at hand at the time is what I'm doing. So yeah. the reason the, I developed that actually that technique um, when I was when I was in in my first year of college, I took an acting class as an elective and I was yeah. scared to death. And I, I mean, I suck as an actor. That's why I'm not an actor. But the, <laughs> professor, the professor told me, don't worry about, don't worry about anything else that's going on. Just worry about your lines and what you have to do. And that's, I, so I carry that over into my profession. I've always worked well under pressure. That's like, yeah. I'm, a, I'm my best under pressure. And so yeah. I focus on the patient at hand and I do my job. I clean mm-hmm. up after and that job stays there. It doesn't come home okay. with me. And it's not it's not a conscious effort. It's just the mm-hmm. way I've been. I don't know why. And I've always been like, okay, um, these are adults. It maybe it's gonna get me one day when I have my first pediatric cardiac okay. arrest. And I remember my first pediatric, it was a five-year-old that choked on an mm-hmm. apple and you know, we did our best. We were able to get him back. He ended up passing away in the hospital like a few days later. But um, I, I take reassurance that I, you know, I, I'm always reading. I'm always learning. I'm always practicing my skills, you know, because mm-hmm. if you don't use it, you lose it. In pediatric jobs, we don't always get yeah. critical patients. So, um, but I, I'm fortunate enough that like my, my manager called me, hey, Fidel, that same day, actually, you know, I heard you and your partner had a, a pediatric arrest. Do you need the rest of the day off? Or, do you need to talk to anybody? You know, I was very appreciative of, of him calling me, but I said, no, I'm fine. I'll, I'll keep yep. going. But I've, but I've had colleagues that have had to go home, literally start crying on scene because, you know, um, and specifically, you know, pediatric jobs yeah. where, you know, stuff is pretty traumatic to see. And and yep. they've gone home and they've, they've been offered uh, counseling by the hospital and by the sea. So there's numerous resources you can reach out to here if you have mm-hmm. um, some sort of, uh, I don't want to say PTSD, but like some sort of a like a Like an emotional, an emotional response to, yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's a better term, emotional response to the job. 
Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, look, and like you're saying, you know, I think I think in any of these first responder professions, there is just there is just something different about when it comes to a child, a baby, you know, that that kind of like pediatric, you know, trauma in a sense. Like like anything happening to anyone is can be upsetting and you feel for the family and and their partners and children all that kind of thing but when it is i think you know someone who we would all consider to be defenseless and you know never at fault or at blame or anything like that and when when something awful happens to them and then you're the ones who are arriving and and trying your best to to help them like i think it's i think it's natural to you know feel feel something extra sometimes absolutely right i'm i'm i'm, I'm cold inside no i'm just kidding <laughs> no i do i do um you're cold and dead like my husband that's okay you know, <laughs> i'm but if you um, so the reason i guess one of the reasons i'm still happy doing the work i do is because i don't take it home with me and yeah I still enjoy the work and, you know, giving people extended time on earth. Yeah. But I, but, you know, and I think, and I actually, you know, Fidel and I were, were texting sort of earlier, like organizing, um, organizing this interview. And I actually wrote that quote down, believe it or not, from like our text messages. Cause you were like, it's the reason I'm still able to do the job for so long and enjoy it. And, and I think, you know, I think whether you're conscious of it or not, and like you're saying, the the um, the what's the word? Um, like the trick that that acting teacher gave you, like it's 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 a you know compartmentalization in in some form or respect. And if if it does allow you to be able to do your job effectively and proficiently and professionally, then you know that's that's awesome. You know. Thank you. Um, I guess like like you're saying, it seems like there is a lot though. If you did find yourself struggling at any point, and that there are a lot of resources that you you can reach out to should should that be an issue. Um, and you said, but you seem to say like a lot of that has come post COVID. Like, was there anything? substantial sort of pre-COVID or it's really more just come about in the last few years? There was before, but to say it was substantial would be stretching it, you know, but a lot of this stemmed off of COVID, the mental health resources that are available to us came Mm -hmm. post-COVID. We had, like, we had uh, critical incident debriefing, uh, um, I don't want to say teams, but uh, I forgot what would you call the collective of people that would be uh, assigned to that job of 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 talking to you, but they're not counselors. That's that was my whole thing. They're just like your manager and your director that received a little bit of training on. Yeah, well, I, th- I think d- different ones are different. So sometimes it's like a peer group one, and then sometimes there's. I guess like like a leader or a manager of like a, like a SISM critical incident stress management. Yeah, it was like a team or a debriefing or I know. Yeah, there's like a, another term which I just did the class like six months ago, so I really should know what it is. Name is long. 
Uh, but yeah. now, but I was mentioning that because now there are actual mental health providers that are, are available to us to talk to that specialize yeah. in this yeah. and, you know in this type of care, yeah. and we can seek them out free of cost. I should say that to us because you know. Yeah cost of of counseling is one thing and insurance sometimes don't cover it so if you're involved in an incident or even sometimes even if you're not if you just need someone to talk to there are resources available yeah which is and a that, good yeah, yeah. It's, it's brilliant and and you know we can in one in one sense we can say better late than never but and it took you know like a global pandemic to make it so it's it's really sounds like it's excellent but you know, for for the people who go and help everyone else, they are the ones that should have the best help available if and when they need it or if and when they choose to to access it. So it sounds like it's it's pretty good in your department. It is. Well we're stubborn though, we won't go. <laughs> um can I can I ask um how your your partner is that, that got stabbed? Is she doing it? Um, she, she has a lot of rehab to, to go through. I don't think she'll be working EMS anymore, but okay. she's doing a lot better. Yep. Okay. She has a lot of physical rehab to go through. Uh, from when I talked to her, uh, her mental status, you know, she wants to come back to work, but she physically can't. Yeah. So that's, that's the sad part. She actually wants to work still. Yeah. And I mean, the sad part is her getting stabbed in the first place, but. You know, she wants I, to I know come. what you mean, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She physically can't. Yeah. Time. But I don't think she will. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot. You know, it's one of the, up there with one of the worst things that could possibly happen to you on duty. And, and especially as a paramedic, like, I think, I think when you're like a police officer and, and stuff like that, like you kind of, there's that level of anticipation and we get sort of taught in the academy of trying to disarm people and we carry weapons. And for, for you guys who purely arrive at a scene to administer care and administer like medical resources, like it's. Yeah, the, la the last thing you expect or want is to be attacked by someone you're there to help. Yeah. That's the that's, uh, that's, uh, unfortunate real uh, reality of the job that we yeah. do. And that is why we get. For the most part, police officers that are assigned to our jobs—they're there for our protection. Yeah. But they're not. But there's but there's a limited amount of officers, so they're not always yeah. there when we need them. Yeah. No. Right. And that's yeah. That's um. Wow. I'm I'm really really sorry about your colleague, and I hope she Thank I hope you. she recovers really really well. Um. Yeah, definitely. And I think you know I even think back to to my sort of general duty policing days and we would get called to jobs where someone was like injured, but there was not necessarily known like the circumstances, all the circumstances were like, you know, mm -hmm. shit's gone down. Um, you know, we'd get to the job and, and we, we call them the Ambos back home. Like the Ambos are like parked around the corner. Then they're just mm -hmm. like, you know, that's our protocol. We're not going in unless the coppers yeah. are there. And it was just the way that it was. So, you know, mm -hmm. you, sometimes you have to protect yourself above all else. Yeah, it's it's kind of similar here where if we read the text, even if it's not a a violent job, if we read the text and we don't feel safe, we're perfectly in our right to wait for police officers to get there or to drive yep. away 
but sometimes yep. you get you get um like for instance the call with my colleague it wasn't even it was a medical call for like oh. a, I don't know if it was a chest pain or difficulty breathing that the, yep. the, the just went south and you wouldn't even think it would happen it's just a random act of violence and he was like the the patient that you guys got called there to assist he, he was their patient Fuck. yes Jesus In Christ the, yeah, so. Ugh. That's... But, but, I mean, it's that that that's not a, a common occurrence. Right? I don't yeah. want people to think that it's no. happening all day every you're like, day. But you're like, it, stop but shitting on New York. <laughs> We've had another colleague in. Uh, I forgot. I didn't. I didn't know the person. He was uh, shot by a patient in the back, in his back as he was leaving the ambulance. This was like oh two, God. three years ago. We had the young, the fire department EMT that was killed by uh, not her patient, but it was a regular patient that uh, she got run over by the ambulance. So we've had our fair share of of occurrences uh, with God, with violence, I should say. That's that's pretty tragic. Yeah. And um, and you you sort of mentioned earlier too that um. And you, you might not know, so um, if it's if you don't, that's totally fine. But like you said, that being sort of like a number of suicides either during or or after COVID, um, yeah. is that sort of something that you're still hearing, like amongst all the different services, that that is still something that's occurring, or does it seem like it has kind of eased off since the um like the height of COVID where everything was so intense. Yeah, it was mostly during the suicides with EMS personnel was actually 2020, 2021. I haven't heard much about it um, yeah. recently. And I mean, I don't really know, but as far as the media says, it was directly related to the stress of responding during the yeah. pandemic. Yep. Yeah. Okay. No, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. Um. So before we move on, tell me, you clearly work really hard and I know you're studying to um, go back and did you say you were getting your master's? Yeah, it's not related to EMS. It's my union pays for school, so why oh, not cool. use free good. education? Like, you know, I'm, <laughs> over, I'm a lifelong learner. Yeah. So, no, no, no. That's that's awesome. I love that. Um. So tell me, tell me what you do outside of outside of work for fun. What what makes Fidel tick? I'm laughing because it's like a, a like a dating app question. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what do you do? For <laughs> Don't um, swipe me yet, Fidel. We haven't no, finished. No, no. <laughs> uh, so I'm. I have my children. They they live with. My ex, they're a little bigger now. So when they were smaller, my priority outside of work was try to spend time with them. But now that mm-hmm. they're a little bigger, I uh, I go to the gym. I try to exercise when I can. I study. I go to school. Yep. Um, a bike ride, mm-hmm. and the occasional cocktail whenever um, my colleagues are having a get together. Uh, uh, very nice. I try to travel. I try to travel whenever I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I. I have a group of friends that we do boys trips with. Last year we went to the Dominican Republic. Oh, this lovely. year I think we're next year we're planning on hopefully going to uh, Guatemala because one of my friends uh, is from Guatemala. So so when we travel, uh, we don't go to resorts. We actually go into 
the the campos we call it the villages and see the because when we went last year to Dominican Maya, one a close friend because New York is in it's it's a melting pot it's an eclectic mix of cultures so yeah. I have friends from Grandma, yeah. a lot of different uh, ethnicities so mm-hmm. we went to DR I fell in love with the country itself such a beautiful country ATV riding through the hills oh you know, wow that'd be so much fun you know, I was drinking Presidentes and on an ATV, which doesn't mix, I almost flew off the cliff. There's no safety measures out there. What's uh, can I ask? What, what is that a type of beer? Or is that yeah, something yeah, it's, it's a beer. So when you're driving through the woods, there's like a random saloon in the woods somewhere that they really? use, I guess, for people on the trail. And for five dollars, you get a, a beer that's about this big. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Not a good idea. No, probably it not. Was it was fun. It was fun. I was like, <laughs> Well, at least you'd be able to provide some kind of level of care should the worst happen. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny you say that, right? Because I have friends like, oh, you're a paramedic. If anything happens, I'm going to call you. I'm like, no. First of all, you call 911. <laughs> and then you can call me. But it's like, I don't bring the ambulance home with me. I have, man is only as good as his tools. You know, I don't have any tools with me. There's nothing I can do. Only thing I can tell you to do is call 911. Yeah. I'm joking. I could recognize the emergency when I see it. Exactly. You know how to like do a tourniquet and put pressure on that sometimes, you know, just little, little, little bits and pieces help. Um, okay. So, um, I want to say thank you for giving me your time, uh, tonight. I do appreciate it. Um, now I do normally, um, end these podcast episodes by asking the guests two final questions. Um, so I do know that number one may be a little bit challenging for you, but, um, uh, we'll just see how we go with it. Um, so the podcast is called, I will hold space for your darkness. And that is in regards to sort of the, the darkness, you know, elements that can permeate first responder roles and what we see and what we do and what we experience and all that kind of thing. Um, so the first question I normally ask is what do you do to hold space for your own darkness in terms of the, the things that you see? So as I mentioned to you before, I don't really know. <laughs> so maybe that, so what I'm worried about, maybe that is my darkness that I don't have any darkness right now, but it's all accumulating in the back of my brain. Yeah. And, you know, I have some sort of protective mechanism that I don't realize that there's a reason why I don't take the work home with me. And maybe one day it'll manifest itself. Hopefully it doesn't. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I think the way I, I handle it, I'm not too sure. Well, I grew up, I grew up in New York City. I grew up playing in the street as a teenager. I was, you know, out and about, you know, all hours of the night, seeing a lot of things. So I got kind of conditioned to what I would see in EMS before I started working EMS from just being a New Yorker alone. And the fact that I'm, I'm able to take that lesson from my professor and just focus on the task at hand and mm-hmm. not think about anything else, you know, like if it's, so when I go on an assignment, uh, of course, scene safety, you have to be aware, you know, of your safety. But my partner be like, Hey, did you see that painting on the wall? I'm like, no, I didn't see yeah. anything. I saw my patient and yeah. any, whatever mattered to, for my patient care at that time. And that was mm-hmm. it. I don't focus on anything else. 
clean up, do my paperwork and move on to the next job. And the only time I remember a job that we did, it's if it was an interesting call, like you mentioned the story with uh, one of my colleagues, interesting Mm -hmm. or something out of the ordinary. And most of the time I, I recall it because of, you know, because no two jobs are the same. I'm always trying to learn, you know, you treat one patient one way, you might treat a different patient, another patient a different way. Mm So I'm always trying to um, powwow with my partners to see what we could have done better on a certain job, or we did a good job. What did we do right? What you know? Yeah. What did we do wrong? Yeah. So that's the only time I really think of the job, but I never think about it as oh my god, so sad. You know, I mean, it is sad. I recognize it. Yeah. But I don't internalize it for yeah. whatever reason, and I've always been like that since day one of my career. Yeah. But no, like I, I and and I know that you know we we did speak offline, and you're like I don't know what the fuck to say about like holding my darkness. But I, I think, like I sort of said to you, like I think that shows you know an amazing amount of resilience that's obviously come about, like you're saying from from even like from your adolescence and and seeing things and bearing witness to things that you know left an imprint, and you've just you've just learned how to cope and so your way of coping is of you know compartmentalizing just you focus on the job at hand at the time and then you like you know you leave it where it was and you compartmentalize and you just actively or maybe not actively you know subconsciously you just don't bring it home with you and that's you know something something to be said to that yeah it's It's definitely yeah No, but that's, I think it's awesome. And, and, you know, every single person I've asked that, that question gives a different answer, you know, and it's, it's your answer. So that's brilliant. I appreciate you sharing it. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, Maybe I'm, I'm actually, I might be in trouble because, you know, those individuals that do have a dark place, they're learning slowly how to deal with it. I like once it happens to me, I don't know if I know how to deal with it once it does, if it does, hopefully it doesn't, but um, yeah. Um, but sorry, I, you, can, I, you can you can come back and talk to me then. That's okay. As of right now, I'm still. <laughs> let's let's, I'm still let's, let's hope we don't have to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um. All right. And one final question, um, Fidel, if you don't mind. And so, the the second aspect that I ask is, what is one thing that you um, or what's one thing that someone could do for you should you find yourself in a place of like maybe struggling to cope with something, what's one thing that you could think of that someone could do for you to, to help you in, in, in that aspect of holding space for your darkness, should you, um, you know, fall under the spell of it? Just, I guess like any time we have, like, I have, like, I've had times where I've needed, you know, to talk to someone, not because of EMS, you know, other stresses in life, but just sometimes, sometimes people just need to vent and talk and release whatever they have inside. So just someone to non-judgmentally and quietly listen to what you have to say and just let, let it out. I guess that would probably, what I would need if I ever come across any type of, um, uh, emotional stress that I need to let out. Yep. Yep. And, and, and like you're saying it, it doesn't have to always be, you know, work related. It can be personal related, like life is tough at times. And so, yeah, like if that's what you need, 
you know, to support you is just, yeah, someone to be there to, to listen and to be able to vent and, and especially like, you know, no judgment. That's, that's, that's what a true friend really is. Yeah, you're right. You know, I'm not immune to the stress. I've had uh, relationship stress that I've had, like a good friend that I would always call and talk to. Yeah. And just let me talk. And that always helped, you know, yeah. whenever I wanted advice, only then they would give advice when requested. So, yeah, that's- yeah. And that's and that's a special person because most of the time people are trying to shove their advice down your throat. So to know the difference. It's human nature, yeah. I guess, to always offer your two cents into something. But I try mm-hmm. I try not to when someone's talking to me. I try yeah. my best. Um, sometimes you can't hold it in, especially if you think if you think <laughs> yeah. it's stupid. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you're like, do you want to hear my two cents on this matter? Yeah. <laughs> you're like, please say yes. Uh, all right, Fidel. Well, I have um, taken up far too much of your time this evening, but I really just want to say thank you for coming on and speaking. I think I think there's been um, a lot of benefit in you sharing, um, you know, some of your experiences and and even just the way that you are able to to separate and leave everything that you see at work. Like, I think that that is, you know, an incredible level of, uh, of resilience. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come and share it with us tonight. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for what you do also, uh, uh, giving people a platform to, to express themselves and how they cope with um, their, their stressors in life. And, and for what you do as, as a profession also with the counseling, you know, thank you. I'm sure there's a lot of first responders that have benefited from just talking to you. Thank you, Fidel. That's really kind of you to say. I appreciate it. All right. So um, like I said, if you um, are on Instagram or Facebook, jump on and follow Fidel at First Responder Stories. Um, and yeah, he shares some some really wonderful content that's definitely worth a, worth a watch and worth a listen and a read in times too. Um, so, all right, let's wrap it up. Um, this has been, I will hold space for your darkness. I'm your host, Erin Jane. And as always, let me listen in a way you've never been heard. Thanks. Hi guys, it's Erin Jane here. Firstly, thank you for listening to I will hold space for your darkness. This podcast really is for you, the listener. And I hope you're finding as much value in listening to these conversations as I am in having them. If you'd like to offer any feedback, suggest a subject matter, are interested in being a podcast guest, or would like to get in contact to receive first responder life and wellness coaching services, please reach out. You can find me on Instagram at Erin Jane Coaching or my website, www.erinjanecoaching.com. I look forward to hearing from you and I'm so grateful to have you as part of this darkness community. Cheers.